everybody, and welcome to another Wednesday night. And uh, here we are online only still. Uh, hopefully it won't be too much longer before we can meet live on Wednesday nights. But uh, frankly, we've had a real hard time raising up volunteers. Uh, so many of our volunteers scattered with the COVID thing, and um, some are still nervous about coming back and getting around a crowd. So, you know, it is what it is. And so, but thank God we have this wonderful technology that we can come to you this way uh, for our Wednesday night service. And, uh, you know, we've been going through questions that Jesus asked. And uh, as I've said every time, when Jesus asked a question, he sure didn't need our answer. Uh, Jesus knew all things. Uh, he's all wise, all knowing. Uh, but his questions carried a message. They carried a teaching. If Jesus asked a question, it was always to make us think uh, about something that perhaps we would not think about, or it was to give us a, a teaching, a message. There was a message within the question. And so we've been having a great time for several weeks now going through some of the questions that Jesus asked. And I've picked the ones that have really stood out to me through the years and that I think have particular relevance for us today. And uh, so I've picked two for tonight. And I want you to grab your Bibles, uh, grab those Bibles. I'm primarily quoting out of the New King James Version. It's a great translation. And in case you're wondering what some good translations might be, New King James is a good one. New American Standard Bible translation is another good one. The New Living Translation is a good one. I think the New International Version is, is a good one. I know some people have a issue with parts of it, but it's a it reads like butter, and it's a it's a good translation by and large. Um, there are several really really good translations, but I tend to um, use the New King James version more than anything else. And of course, if you want to use the King James, that's a good translation. However, it's not the only translation. It's not the one and only translation. We're not King James only around here. So, I want to go to the first question. Uh, that I want us to look at tonight, and it's, it's just real brief. Matter of fact, six words. Jesus asked this question, how many loaves do you have? Now, when I read the question, you immediately probably know the context of that question. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 34. And it, the context is that a great crowd has been following Jesus for three whole days, They've been watching the signs and wonders that he performs. They've been listening to his teaching. They've been pitching tent and sleeping uh, in the vicinity where Jesus was. They were out in the wilderness area. And so they have cared enough to follow him. They have been intrigued enough to follow him that they have literally been pitching tent, camping out for three nights and three days. And during this time, they haven't been eating. Now, I want you to think about that. It, so intriguing was our Lord, so powerful in his messages that the people forgot about food. They weren't even thinking about food. And Jesus looks at them after three days and nights and he takes stock of their condition and he, he thinks, wow, they're getting faint and they're getting hungry. So the Bible records, quote, now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry 
lest they faint on the way. Now, the disciples always um, two steps behind Jesus, <laughs> never really up to speed with, with much of what he was doing. They were always kind of dazed and confused and very slow in, in their learning uh, uh, about what the Lord was trying to communicate to them. So his, so his disciples said to him, where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? In other words, Lord, you know, yeah, we agree they're faint, they're hungry, but what are you telling us for? What do you expect us to do? Jesus said to them, now this is important. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? There's our question. That's the question. How many loaves do you have? They looked around. They asked a little boy who kind of brought a sack lunch along. And he had a, a few loaves and a few little fish. So they, they, they gathered everything that they could find. And they said, well, Lord, we have seven loaves of bread and we have a few little fish. Now, I want to stop and point out that the disciples were looking at an impossibility. They did not know why Jesus would turn to them when there's 5,000, now catch this, 5,000 men. But in those days, when you were a man, you were married by the time you were a young man. So I think it's very safe to assume this was a crowd of 10 to 12,000 because not only were there husbands and wives, but of course there were little kids. So this was a massive crowd. As far as the eye could see, 10 to 12,000 people, 5,000 men, plus women, plus children. So they look at this and Jesus says to the disciples, I don't want to send them away hungry. Well, they were thinking, well, we don't either, Lord, but what can we do? Now notice what Jesus said. What do you have? What do you have? Tell me what you have. Well, they didn't have much. This is a real say what statement from Jesus to them. Say what? You want us to do something about this? The disciples are thinking, you think we're going to feed all these people? And again, I point out to you that the question that Jesus asked them was designed to teach a lifelong lesson. And church, this is so important because this is relevant to you and to me, because many of you listening to me right now, you're in a place of real need. Uh, you've lost a job because of COVID, or be, maybe you've taken a pay cut, or maybe you had to get a, a job that didn't pay as well because you lost your first job, or, or you're just doing life and it seems like there's never enough money, and you're looking at the massive need that you have, and then you hear Jesus saying, I want to take care of this. And your response is, well, so do I. But, but how? And then we hear Jesus saying this. What do you have? Tell me what you have. So the lesson, the message seems to be, when you're in need, give me what you have. Give me what you have. And so the disciples look at, you know, seven loaves of bread and two fish, and there's 12,000 people. So they needed, you know, at least 10,000 loaves of bread, 10,000 fish. They needed this gigantic provision, but they didn't have it. So the lesson is this. 
when we're in need, like they were in need, yield everything to him. Give him what you have. It was the lesson of a little becomes a lot when you give it to him. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't believe in preaching or teaching false messages or messages that give you false hope or telling you something the Bible doesn't really teach. Like if you give God $10, he's going to give you a hundred. And if you give a hundred, he's going to give you tenfold, a thousand. Um, I don't do that because I don't believe the Bible teaches that kind of a guarantee. I don't. But here is what I am saying. Sometimes we don't have what we need, but we do have enough to give to God. So he says to the disciples, give me what you have. Just give me what you have. And I want you to notice that when they sized up what they did have, they threw in the word little. Well, Lord, we've got seven loaves and a few little fish. You know why? Because that's the way it looked to them. They were looking at a little bit compared to a great need. But Jesus said, all right, give it to me. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did. The Bible says he took it, he blessed it, he thanked God for it, and he broke it. All right? So he took it, he blessed it, and thanked God for it, he broke it, and he distributed it. He took, blessed, broke, and gave. He took, blessed, broke, and gave. So as soon as they gave it to Jesus, it left the hands of the natural and went into the hands of the supernatural. As soon as they gave it to Jesus, they let go of an impossibility. And when it came into Jesus' hands, it became a possibility because Jesus took it and then he blessed it. He thanked the Father for it. Then he broke it. He began to break it. He took that bread and he broke it. And then he distributed it. Now, I don't know how the miracle went down. I really don't. But we have to imagine. We have to use our sanctified imaginations here. But here's Peter, James, and John, let's say. And they've got a basket. And in that basket is, you know, a solitary loaf of bread and maybe a fish or two. I don't know if he gave, if he distributed the seven loaves and a few little bitty fish to the, all 12 of the disciples uh, or just a few of them because there wasn't really enough to give to all 12. But they went towards the crowd and they began to hand what they had to the crowd. And folks, as they handed it to the crowd, more appeared in the basket. That's the only explanation. Jesus had broken the bread. So I don't know how many fragments each loaf was broken. But as they handed the fragments to the starving multitude, more appeared supernaturally, out of nowhere, miraculously. It appeared. And they kept giving and it kept appearing. And it kept, they kept giving and it kept appearing until I think they were almost doing cartwheels. They had to have been seeing this happen. I mean, hey, Peter, do you, is what's happening to me happening to you? Peter says to James, yeah. I mean, I'm giving away this bread and as soon as I give it away, more appears in my basket. And they came under one of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible. And I don't know how long it took for them to distribute to all 12,000 people, but I guarantee you it took a while. So they had this miracle continuing 
for what, a couple of hours of this giving and then reappearing and then giving and then reappearing, little fish being multiplied, loaves of bread being multiplied. You talk about wonder bread. This was the original wonder bread. And so they had this incredible miracle of provision. The Bible says, so they all ate. Everybody say all, not some of them, all of them. How many of them? 10 to 12,000 people ate from seven little loaves of bread and a few little fish, perch, crappie, little fish. And they took up seven large baskets full of the leftovers, full of the fragments that were left. Wow. And then it says those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So 10,000, 11,000, 12,000. What an incredible miracle. Now, I believe that when they came to the end and the last person had been served, the disciples had to have gotten into a huddle and they had to have been just, you talk about your mind being blown. You talk about your brain being in a pretzel. You talk about knowing that you have just seen the glory of God. They knew. Now they get together. And they say, what just happened? What just happened? And they went back to the question from Jesus. How many loaves do you have? Give me what you have and I'll give you what you don't have. And so the message of the question was this, a little becomes a lot and you place the little in the hands of Jesus for his purposes and at his command. Now, I have been in situations, and I'll close this first question with this. I've been in situations where um, I had a massive need and, and I didn't really have anything materially to give to God, but here's what I did have. I had the ability to pray. I had the ability to... Uh, do what I could do, maybe look for a job, um, I don't know, serve the Lord, minister to people. I can't tell you how many times ministering to people has brought me out of the mully grubs and helped me to walk into uh, God's provision for me. Just, just getting busy with the work of the Lord. You know, sometimes we don't have anything materially, but we do have faith. We do have prayer. We do have the ability to spend time in God's word. We do have the ability to lay hold of his promises. We have a little, a few little fish, but a little becomes a lot when you sow it towards him. So I don't know where you are uh, tonight, but I do know this, whatever your need is, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. What do you have? What do you have? Well, Lord, I don't have anything material. Ah, but you do have faith, right? You do have salvation, right? You do have the word of God, right? Uh, and, and maybe you've got some little something that you can sow into the kingdom. Uh, go minister to somebody. Call somebody and pray with them. You've got that. Um, you know, go, go feed somebody. Uh, do something where you're in motion and you're moving in faith and sow it to the kingdom. 
You know, they didn't just give it to anybody. They gave it to the king of the kingdom and the king of the kingdom changed everything around. So I leave you with that. And that is a great, great, great first question. Tell me what you do have. Tell me what you do have. All right. So let's go to one more question tonight. This is a great one. Boy, I love this one. Matter of fact, I have preached evangelistic sermons from this question. Here's the question. It's only five words. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Now that's found in John's gospel, chapter one, verse 38. And this question from Jesus took place uh, after John the Baptist has anointed Jesus uh, and pointed to Jesus. He's baptized Jesus and Jesus has come out of the water and um, uh, the spirit of God has descended upon him like a dove and a voice has come from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then uh, John points to Jesus and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It says that he did this in front of two of his disciples. Now, following this pronouncement from John, his two disciples left John and ran toward Jesus because, you know, John was their man. John was the one that had called them to repentance and had baptized them in water. But now John points to the one he's been preaching about and points to the one he's been preparing the world for. He says, there you go, guys. Don't look at me, but there's your Messiah. There's the Lamb of God. There's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. And so they went chasing after Jesus. Jesus saw them coming. And Jesus said to them, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? They replied, well, teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and see. You know, Jesus never wasted a word, did he? What are you looking for? Come and see. They went where he was and they stayed with him for a whole day. So they got a whole day alone with Jesus because they saw him. Now, I believe the question Jesus asked them is one of the great questions of life. Now, I want you to hear me. This is one of the great questions of life. What are you looking for? Every day that you wake up, what do you wake up looking for? You say, well, Jeff, I'm looking for a lot of things. It's not any one thing. Ah, but I would contend, and the Bible would contend, and Jesus would contend, that we are all seeking primarily one thing. One thing, because Jesus said you can't have two treasures. Your heart is not wired for two treasures. You can't serve God and riches. You can't serve riches and God. Because our heart is wired to basically worship and serve one thing. So we may seek many different things on any given day, but we wake up with a primary motivation. All of us do. And that's where I think this message from Jesus to these two disciples of John goes. What are you two guys looking for? Primarily, what makes you tick? What are you chasing in life? What are you after? Uh, what, what has your heart? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where I'm going to find your heart. And where your heart is, that's where I'm going to find your treasure. We've all got a treasure. We've all got a primary thing we're seeking, that we're chasing, that we're pursuing in life. So I'm asking you the question, and I'm asking myself the question. 
I, I, I like to think, and I do believe, that when I wake up in the morning, I'm seeking Jesus. That's my primary goal in life. But, you know, I could go out there with a microphone and go on the street, and I could just start asking people this incredible question from Jesus. What are you looking for in life? What are you chasing? What are you pursuing? What is your primary pursuit in life? And the disciples said, well, we want to hang out with you. You're the one that we're chasing after right now. And it was a great response to that question. And I think it's the kind of response that Jesus would like for all of us to be able to give. Well, Lord, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you. I want to be where you are. Where are you hanging out, Lord? Where, where are you staying? Because that's where we want to be. What a great answer to a great question. But let me extrapolate on this a little bit. Um, everybody's looking for something, like I said. And I believe that a lot of people on the street would answer something like this. Some would say, well, you know, I'm seeking uh, money, good money. I want to make good money in life. That's what I'm after. And that would be a very honest answer because that's what a lot of people are looking for. They're looking for money. They want the green stuff. They want dineros. They want to get out there and make big money. Uh, and so I believe probably a majority of Americans would say that that was their primary pursuit. I want to be comfortable. I want that nice big house. I want that six-figure, seven-figure income. I want the white picket fence. I want spot running around in the backyard. I want the Beamer. I want the Mercedes. I want the financial security. I want the great um, 401k. I want a really fat IRA for when I decide to step aside and retire. I want money. Uh, some would say I'm looking for love. What are you really after? What are you looking for? I'm looking for love. If you want to know what I'm chasing after every single day, I've got a hunger for love. I want to be accepted. I want somebody to love me and I want to love somebody. And that's what I'm getting up and chasing every single day. That's my primary pursuit in life. I'm just going from relationship to relationship until I find the right one because what I really want is the fulfillment of being loved and of loving in return. And there's really nothing wrong with that unless it's your primary pursuit. And if it's your primary pursuit, well, I'm not so sure that's the greatest decision. Uh, some would say I'm looking for the right marital partner. Or others might say I'm looking for a life of adventure. I want to go places. I want to visit all the great places in the world. I want to experience adventure. You know, I want to jump out of an airplane and parachute and I want to scuba dive and I want to do this and I want to do that because I'm looking for adventure. Nothing wrong with wanting to do those things unless they are your primary pursuit. Because if that's what you're really chasing, well, I think Jesus would differ with you. Jesus would counsel you otherwise. Because what did Jesus say? He said, here's what you chase after. Seek first the kingdom of God. Not second, not third, not last, not your default pursuit, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. First. 
And, and Jesus said, if that's your primary pursuit, then all the things the world is worried about obtaining, what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, where they're going to live, um, all the material provision that they're living every day to obtain, God will add to you as a side benefit for seeking first the kingdom of God. So I guess what I want to say to you with this second question that Jesus asked is, um, what are you looking for? What's your primary pursuit? What, what, what are you chasing? Uh, more than anything else, when you wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off and you get up and drag a comb through your hair and brush your teeth and you start getting dressed and thinking about your day, I guarantee you, you're about more than just paying the bills. You're chasing something. You're after something. You're pursuing something. There is a treasure in your heart that you are going for. And I want to encourage you to examine yourself. And the Bible says for us to do that. Examine yourself. Ask yourself the question, what am I looking for? What makes me tick? What am I chasing after most in life? I'll be honest with you. I was saved straight out of the drug culture. I was saved in juvenile home. Because when I woke up every day, my treasure had nothing to do with God. What I was chasing after was my next high, was drugs, a hedonistic lifestyle, um, living for and gratifying the lust of the flesh. I was living uh, to be popular. I wanted to be liked. Um, you know, my treasure was anything but God. And because I chased the treasure that I chased, it brought me what it brought me. And that was destruction. And so when the Lord saved me and filled me with his spirit, man, my treasure changed. I mean, radically changed. That old treasure that I had had and that I was chasing disappeared. And I began to chase after God. And chasing after God, I mean, I've had ups and downs. I've made mistakes to be sure. But my entire life, from the time I was a teenager to now, has been by and large pursuing God, chasing God, um, seeking first the kingdom, living for him to the best of my ability and making him my treasure. And as a result, I'm rich. Now I'm not rich materially. I'm comfortable materially, but I'm certainly not rich. No, no, no. I got better riches than money. I'm rich in the things of God. My mind is full of the scriptures. My heart is full of the word of God. Um, I've got peace in my heart. I fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I fellowship with Jesus. I'm able to talk to him every day. I'm able to enjoy taking in the manna of his word every day. I'm rich in so many ways. God has allowed me to bless uh, tens of thousands of people with the word of God. He's given me a great church to pastor and I have a wonderful congregation, you. And, and so he's made me so rich but in things money can't buy because of the treasure that I chase. So I'm going to tell you, I think of our 2021 new year that's upon us. And here we are. Can you believe it? We're in a brand new year. And I pray that all of us will be able to answer the question, what are you looking for? 
in the same way those two disciples did. Lord, we want to know where you are, because where you are is where we want to be. And where you are is going to be the fulfillment of our life. And so that's my prayer for you. And I hope you enjoyed the two questions tonight. I hope that it blessed you. And I can't wait to share with you the word of God again. And let me encourage you and remind you that um, we're meeting on, on uh, Sunday mornings now, live, 9 and 11. We're having a great, great time of worship. I'm telling you, God moved last Sunday in such a wonderful way. The worship was so rich. And I brought a word on how to spot a false prophet. And uh, we're just getting into the Bible. We're enjoying the word of God. And we're enjoying worshiping the Lord. And let me just encourage you, if you've been away since COVID hit, and if you've been a little bit nervous about coming back, I'm not trying to get you some, to do something that the Holy Spirit has not given you a piece to do. But if you're healthy, you're okay, I want to encourage you to pray about it. Just ask God, is it time for me to get back in church? Because if it is, I want you to do it. We need you. Because until you're there, your gift is missing, your smile is missing, uh, your encouragement is missing. Um, there's something that's not there because you're not there. Something spiritually. We need you. We need, we need our church family. So I encourage you to come back because we're meeting again and it's good. Come at nine, come at 11. And I believe that God will bless you. Until then, we will see you next time. We love you. Cindy and I both love you in Jesus' name. Amen.